We are going through the Gospel of Mark, and on Sunday we talked about Mark chapter 3, where Jesus was rebuked by the religious establishment, and then to add insult to injury, his own family said that he's out of his mind. And so we talked about that, and it ends, the chapter, I don't know if you got a chance to keep reading it, but it, the chapter ends with his family saying, we need to talk to you, and Jesus replying, my family are the ones who do the will of my father. So the question that we want to try to answer tonight is, so how do we know when we're actually doing the will of God, and how do we know when it's false, and how do we know when it's not the truth, which is a daunting task, but the Bible gives us a lot of clues and a lot of things to look at to make sure that we're following God the proper way, that we're not tangled up in some false understanding of who he is and the gospel and so on and so forth. So I want to begin by reading a scripture out of 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. John, who was one of the original disciples of Jesus, writing to the church that he was pastoring, he challenges them with this. In, in John 4, 1, he says this. Go ahead to that first verse. It says, Dear friends, do not believe every one who claims to speak by the Spirit, you must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. Which is very interesting because John writes this in the beginning of the church, basically. So, which tells you from day one they've had this issue of false teachings and false prophets, and so on and so forth. Now, before we get into the thick of this, I, I want to say a couple of things that's important. It's important to understand this, that there, there could be an obsession with finding false teachings that's equivalent to someone who is obsessed with conspiracy theories. So I, I need to caution us that when you're looking for conspiracy theories, you'll find it in everything. You could be reading your cereal box in the morning and find a conspiracy theory if your mind is bent towards that. So I want to make it clear, okay, that it's, I, I tread lightly on these things because I don't want to open the wrong understanding of what that is. So what I want to do is give us some foundations here, but I don't want us to be one of those people that are now looking for reasons to find something false, to find something wrong, right? Because the reality is this. A lot of what I see nowadays that people consider to be false teachings are not false teachings. They're not. A lot of it is just differing methods and approaches to ministry, not false. False and difference is not the same thing. Okay, we need to establish that. Remember when Jesus told his disciples, the disciples came to Jesus, they're like, hey, I saw, we saw some 
dudes over here casting out demons in your name and we told them to stop. And he says, why would you stop them? If they're not against us, they're for us. Right? But these dudes, the first disciples were like, yeah, but they're not part of our crew. So they must be false. So we have to be careful with that. Right? Just because they're not part of our crew does not mean it makes it false. Right? And you've heard me say this many times. I want to say it clear again. Like, the church down the street is not your enemy. Okay? Right? They, they may have a different perspective. They may have a different method. But we have to be careful not to label people as false just because they look different from us. All right? So I want to make sure that we, we, we establish that. The other thing that I'm seeing a lot nowadays is we fight over what we call secondary theologies. Okay? Like the stuff that matters, which I want to get into, like what is orthodox Christianity, right? What, what is the right understanding of Christianity, which the word orthodox means, right? Versus the, the secondary things that we may differ on does not mean we're not on the same team. Okay? Uh, so I want to make sure we, we, we preface this stuff first and foremost. Let's not be more obsessed with false than we are with truth. Because the way to distinguish false from truth is to be into truth. Then it's easy to know what's false. Okay, it's not to go find out everything that's false, then to find out what's true. No, it's like the more you know the truth, it's the truth that sets you free from everything that's not true. You know? I heard that at the, at the bank, that's what they do with the bank tellers, right? They, they, they teach them real currency. They said, the, but the way that they train you is they, they teach you how to spot real currency, not how to spot fake ones. Because they're like, if you know the real, you'll know the fake. Because here's the thing, if you, keep, if you go to the fake first, fake always changes. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? So you got to know the truth first. If you know the truth, then you can tell, oh, for Gazy, that's... Jordan cannot be making a layup. Like, that's from Payless. <laughs> that's, false. that's false Jordan. <laughs> All right, so, so let's start there, first and foremost, because I've, I'm seeing a lot of nonsense, especially since COVID. COVID sent everybody online. So everybody on YouTube became prophets. And everybody decided to tell you who the false prophets are, <laughs> okay? So COVID opened a whole nother can of worms, right? And I, listen, I did this not long ago. I said, you know what? Let me find out who are, if all the people that I like are false teachers, according to YouTube, they all are false teachers. Someone on YouTube will have a problem with somebody somewhere, right? But they don't distinguish between what's what's a difference in methodology and approach versus what's false. So my prayer is that we start there because the last thing we need is to add to the noise, right, of, of people just rambling over what, what's real, what's false. Are you tracking with me so far? All right, so with that in mind, I want to first establish, <laughs> let's settle this one that everybody seems to bring up once in a while. Right? What is a cult? And are we a cult? Okay, let's go right there. Let's jump right in the middle of this because we've heard this over the years and I want to settle the score tonight. Wait, for some people, I'm not going to settle the score. Forget it, right? But let, let's, let's really look at the reality of what that actually means, okay? If you're taking notes, here's the actual definition of a cult, okay? The definition of a cult 
is a perversion or a distortion of biblical Christianity and or a rejection of historic teachings of the Christian church. Okay, a cult is a perversion or a distortion of the real thing, all right? And it started from first century, from day one, they were dealing with a perversion or distortion of the real thing, right? And it has obviously evolved over 2,000 years of what that looks like, right? And you can get lost if you start to look at all the different cults out there. But here's here's what's interesting for our area, for the sake of the Northeast, because the Northeast is highly influenced by the Catholic Church, most people think if you're not Catholic, you must be in a cult. Okay, like that's the reality of the Northeast. They just automatically assume because it's heavily populated by the Catholicism and it was highly influenced by Catholicism. When we moved here seven years ago, I looked it up in this area, they were saying like there was about 65% of people identify as Catholics, right? So automatically when you come and, and, and your music is different and people actually sing out loud and jump around, that... That's, that looks weird to some people who are so used to the Catholic tradition of church. Are you tracking so far? So that's one of the major misconceptions that we have in the Northeast. Because it's heavily Catholic, we automatically assume, because the Catholic church, unfortunately, in the, in the past, I don't, know, I don't think they don't, they don't do it much as, anymore, but in the past, they used to just label everyone who was not Catholic heretics. All right? And we know that in the 16th century with the Reformation, we had a major split between Catholicism and the Protestants, which gave birth to all the different denominations that we have today. Are you guys with me so far? Right? So the key, though, is to define if it's a perversion, a distortion, then what is the real thing? Right? We got to ask the question, what is orthodox Christianity versus what's a perversion or a distortion of biblical Christianity? For that, we have to go back to church history for a second to answer that question. Because as the church was facing these, this, this, this perversion and distortion, they decided, okay, we need to sit down and really flesh out what is Orthodox Christianity, what is the right vein, because we keep getting hit with all these different understandings. Um, it, started with, it started with the Jews that were still orthodox in the Judaism, and was, they were getting into church, but they wanted to bring some of the rules and regulations of Judaism into Christianity, right? And, and that birthed some of the, the struggles that Paul talks about in most of his letters. When Paul talks about false teaching in his letters, Paul is dealing mainly with these Jews who came out of Judaism but never translated into grace. They wanted to bring circumcision, for example, in. They're like, yeah, yeah, well, you, okay, but... How about you still need to be circumcised? Paul's like, no, no, you don't have to be circumcised. That's the whole purpose of grace, right? You don't have to live by the laws and the rules and the regulations of the Old Testament because Jesus has fulfilled the old into the new. So majority of that, this is what I'm saying nowadays, people just jack this up because they don't know the context. So they automatically assume, oh, that guy looks different. He must be a false prophet. No, no, no. It's the context of it. Paul was saying like, hey, don't let people bring you back to the old, right? For example, if you look at Galatians, for example, Paul's saying... You guys were doing so well, learning with grace, and all of a sudden you're letting these guys bring you back to making you obey the laws and rules and regulations. Don't you understand, like, it's by grace you've been saved. It's by grace you will continue to be saved. The other one that they struggled with in the first century was Gnosticism. 
okay? Gnosticism is the understanding of separating the flesh from the spirit, right? And so people started teaching that Jesus wasn't necessarily fully a human being, that he was just a spirit, right? But Paul was like, and Peter and all these guys were like, no, we walk with him. Like, we touched him. Like, he was a real human being, flesh and blood. Like, he walked every day. Like, he, if he wasn't, then he can't save us because he doesn't know what it means to be a full human being. So Gnosticism was another perversion of the historical Christianity. Now, fast forward to 325 AD. The church decided to have a meeting with all the church leaders, and they call this the Council of Nicaea. And they said, listen, we need to really put down on paper what do we actually believe and make it clear to people this is what Orthodox Christianity looks like and this is where we get the Bible from. We didn't get the Bible in this form until 325 when he decided, hey, let's find all the scriptures that we have that points to Jesus, that doesn't contradict the Old Testament, doesn't contradict the teachings of the first apostles, and let's, put them, let's compile them all in one so people can have it. Unfortunately, only the church leaders had it at that point, which that's a whole other story for another time because 16th century is when Martin Luther decided to translate the Bible into everyday language. But the Council of Nicaea was important because they wanted to establish, hey, here's what Christianity is supposed to be like. Here's the main things that makes you a Christian. Right? We can debate other stuff, but this is the main crux of Christianity. All right? And they came up with a creed called what we call the Nicene Creed. All right? The Nicene Creed basically summarizes Here's what Orthodox Christianity actually is. And I think we have it here. You can't read that. <laughs> Google it. Okay. The Nicene Creed, it basically gives you the summary. Like, hey, here's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is our theology, right? Let me see if I can read this to you. Uh, I'm going to get up for a second here. But look, so this is a summary of this meeting that they had. To, to, to say, okay, this is, if someone is asking, this is it. Like, this is our theology. This is Christ's theology here, right? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God. That's important because they're like, we want to make it clear, Jesus is God. Yes. All right? Light from light, true God from true God begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. Why is this such a mouthful? Because of the struggles of Gnosticism and all these different things that was happening in the moment. They're like, let's clarify this, all right? For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary, real person, and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with scriptures. He ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one Catholic and apostolic church. By the way, the word Catholic there is, means universal. One church. Okay. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world. In the life of the world to come. Amen. Right. So if someone is asking what is Orthodox Christianity, this is Orthodox Christianity in a nutshell. All right. This is why I think a lot of times... We're talking more about differences in our approaches than we're actually talking about the 
heart of Christianity. Are you tracking? Right? So it's important because then from here, you'll be able to know, okay, but what doesn't fit? Right? What doesn't fit? Because if you start with the false, then you don't know what the real is. So you always start with the real before you start debating what's false. Now, with that in mind, over the centuries, there are some clear things you can see and you can say these are some characteristics of a cult or a perversion, right? I want to give you some of it that scholars all agree upon that these are the things that would separate Orthodox Christianity from a cult, okay? If you want a book that would take you on a journey through all cults and world religions, I highly recommend Handbook of Today's Religions by Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell is an incredible Christian apologist. He was an atheist who became a believer and dedicated his life to showing you how to defend the faith. So if you want a book, Handbook of Today's Religion, it's thick, but it's worth it if you're into that stuff, if you're nerdy like me, (laughs) um, you want to go dissect this, okay? But here are the characteristics of a cult, right? Number one is this obsession with exclusive revelation or new truth, right? Once in a while, you'll see a group of people who say, hey, we have special revelation from God, and we're going to isolate ourselves from everybody else because we have the truth and no one else does, right? And if you study any cult, usually that is a given, right? Where people all of a sudden feel like no one else has the truth, but we do. Right? which is a major red flag because only Jesus is the truth. Right? And any time you see a group of people says, no, we have the exclusive on truth, run. Because okay? no one has the copyright on truth. Right? Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Right? And Jesus is where his people are, not just some people. Right? So... Exclusive revelation or new truth usually is a major sign of, uh uh-oh, something is going on here, right? And I can mention some, I don't want to mention names. I told you this the other day, you know? But there's some obvious ones like Jim Jones, right? You know about Jim Jones and and what happened there with the Kool-Aid and all that stuff. Very sad, heartbreaking. What could happen when you think you have exclusive revelation and no one else does, right? So that's important. So pay attention to that when people are like, all of a sudden, we hear from God and no one else does. That's how Mormonism was birthed. That's how Jehovah Witnesses were birthed. All of a sudden, these group of people said, no, we have the truth and no one else does. Right? Number two, you're always going to get a different Jesus from the historical Jesus of the Bible. Right? That's a major challenge in a lot of cults is what kind of Jesus are you getting? Right? Because usually, if it's not the Jesus that we just read about in the Nicene Creed, it's, it's a version of Jesus that's less than the historical Jesus that you find in scriptures. Usually, it's a Jesus where he might be divine, but he's not man. Or sometimes, a, he's a teacher, but he's not Messiah. Right? It's always like, if you, anytime you're talking with someone and you're not sure, ask them, who is Jesus? Because that's usually the stumbling block. Jesus said, I am the stumbling block. I'm going to be the stumbling block to a lot of people. It's like how you see Jesus says a lot. Like, is he historical? Was he a real figure in real time? Or was he just a spirit? Some people say he's just a spirit. Right? 
in, in, in the Muslim faith, Jesus is, is a prophet, but he's not the son of God, right? So each and every one has to, Jesus said you have to come face to face with the reality of who I really am, right? Who do you say I am? Jesus asked, right? And that is a challenge for a lot of these cults. Another one that the reason why the Nicene Creed is so, such a mouthful because they want to make sure you understand that God is three in one, one in three. A lot of cults struggle with that concept. For example, Jehovah's Witness would say there's no trinity because the word trinity is not in the Bible. But the point is, it's not, the word is not about, the, it's not if, if the word is in the Bible, is the, is the reality in the Bible. Right? That there's a father, there's a son, and then there's a Holy Spirit. And the three are one and one in three. Right? Trinity is where a lot of people get hung up on. And it's the greatest mystery of our faith. If you can fully understand the Trinity, then it's no longer a mystery of the faith. It's impossible to fully understand the Trinity, right? Saint, I think it was St. Augustine. Was it St. Augustine? I might be getting the church fathers wrong here, but who was studying the Trinity and they were like trying to make sense of it. And it's like, I couldn't understand this. He says, I went for a walk. I went to the beach to go for a walk and I saw this little kid playing on the beach. And this kid was, was, had his little, you know, his little beach, um, what do you call it? Shovel. Thank you. Man, I can't even talk about a shovel. I'm trying to explain the Trinity. <laughs> Forget it. It's a bad start. But he said he saw this kid with his little shovel and his little bucket, and he, he had a little hole on the sand, and he kept going to the water and grabbing water and coming back and dumping it in. He said, I saw this kid do this so many times, and I was intrigued. I went to the kid, and I said, what are you trying to do? And he said, the kid said, I want to fit this whole ocean into this little bucket, this little hole. And he said, it dawned on me, that's what I'm trying to do with the Trinity. You know, fit the God of the universe into my little brain. It's impossible. That's why Paul calls it a mystery. But Jesus is a stumbling block. Number three is the blatantly rejection of Orthodox Christianity. For example, the founder of Mormonism said, the reason why God gave him a special revelation is because everybody got it wrong. Right? But this was centuries later. Like, Mormonism didn't start until the 1800s. So for 1800 years, people got it wrong. So you have to be careful when people say, all of a sudden, we got the truth. Right? So it's a blatant rejection of Orthodox Christianity. Number four, as you guys know, this happens every single time. There's always a double talk. One thing in public, another thing is happening behind the scenes. And every time a cult blows up, we always find out, oh my God, all the mess that was happening behind closed doors. Because a lot of times, there's this push for righteousness and holiness, but it's forced. It's not of grace. It's more like we are going to uphold people to a certain standard that we ourselves are not upholding. That's why I always say people like, be careful with people who have this harsh stance on righteousness but it's like, does your lifestyle reflect that behind the scenes? Unfortunately, we keep getting hit with scandals after scandals after scandals. Why? Because people don't live in a golden grace. They just put on a front that they have grace, right? So hypocrisy usually comes out of these things, unfortunately, because it's not led by the Spirit of God, right? And then this is a big one, controlling leadership, right? When, when you're in a cult, there's massive level of manipulation at the top, like the leaders say, we hear from God, no one else does. So you got to rely on us to tell you everything. 
and how to live, how to behave, who to marry, who not to marry. And then you end up finding out that these leaders are marrying everybody, you know, because God told them that they can have everybody's wives, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and so controlling leadership is, is a big one, right? And there's a danger there for anyone who's a leader. It's easy to let power go to your head and to think now you're in control and everybody else has to bow down to you in a sense, right? So I always tell people, like, be careful with leaders who want to not, not steer you, but want to control you, right? There's a difference between someone trying to point you in the right direction and someone who's trying to make you go a certain way, you know? And especially those people who like to use God told me, right? Be careful with those people who every five minutes God has to tell them something because because God's schizophrenic, he forgets. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, I'm serious about that. In our church, we try to very be careful with, I believe God does, does speak to us. But a lot of times God nudges you, or he steers you, or he shows you a scripture. It's not always audible, like, behold, married that one. <laughs> you know, he, he can speak to you, and he will. I believe he does. But a lot of times God speaks through his word. You know, so controlling leadership is a big one. Here's another big one, salvation by works. You have to earn your salvation through either good deeds, baptisms, special rights, you know, special favors, jump through certain hoops, right? You have to earn your salvation as opposed to a gift of salvation. You will never hear the word grace in cults. Because grace is non-existent, right? It's the grace of God that saves you. It's a gift, right? You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's God's gift to us, right? And then lastly is false prophecy. You know, if you go study, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they've prophesied the end times many times. Still hasn't happened, right? It's a major one. And now, unfortunately, we are seeing this a lot during COVID and the mid, with the elections. I mean, they came out of <laughs> the woodwork, right? Some people still believe Trump is the president because someone prophesied it. And they won't receive the reality that he's not <laughs> because someone said, no, God told me that Trump is the president. It's like, but he's not. <laughs> we got a problem, Houston. <laughs> right? So... Right now, a lot of people need to repent. I think it's okay to be like, I was wrong. Right? But if you double down, <laughs> you got a problem. Right? We need, we need humility to say, man, I really thought Trump was going to be president. Right? But he's not. So that means it's false. Okay? I heard some excuses. People are like, he's president in heaven. Wait, what? Now, that's, that's a whole level, another level of heresy, because Jesus is president. <laughs> that's a whole other level. <laughs> so, my friends, unfortunately, you got to discern through this stuff. It doesn't just fall on your lap, you know? People always say, well, how come people fall into cults? They fall into cults because people, first of all, you want answers, 
Right? You want answers. And someone says, I got the answer. Right? Two, you want to belong somewhere. Right? Community is huge. Right? And a lot of these people, they're not evil per se. They're nice people. They're just wrong. You know you can be sincerely wrong. Right? Yeah. Hey, you could be really nice. The Mormons are the nicest people you will ever meet. I've met some of them. Really nice folks. But the theology is weird. You know? So, again, I don't think people are just like blatantly evil. Right? You could be sincerely wrong. Right? That's why the Bible says you've got to use discernment. Test the spirits, it says. Right? Test it to make sure it's from God. Are you tracking so far? Man, I'm looking at the clock. I'm like, I got so much to share. Okay. <laughs> so, all right, let me do this. I'm going to jump into the next thing, which is, again, please, I'm calling these red flags not, not necessarily that these people are false. Okay, red flags to pay attention to. Okay, because this is, this is now outside of cults, just in general. Anyone who says they have Jesus or they have the truth, I want to I just point out some things to be aware of. Okay, be aware of these things. Number one, be aware of people who say they hear from God, but they don't have any spiritual oversight. That's an important one, because Jesus said that he, first of all, he says, I build my church, right? The gates of hell will not prevail, but he's like, I'm going to put people in leadership, in place. He started with Peter, right? He says, Peter, you're the rock, right? You're going to, you're going to build this thing. And then, and then when you get to the book of Acts, you see, like, structure is important, right? So beware of people who, who don't have any spiritual oversight, but they're always hearing from God. Ask them, who is your pastor? Simple question. I have a pastor. I'm a pastor, but I'm a pastor. And my pastor has a pastor, why? Because we, we believe in accountability. We believe that we're not lone rangers. We're not rogue people. In 2020, man, we got a lot of rogues. <laughs> hey, I'm telling you, YouTube has, YouTube has become YouTube of theology. Hey, it's a YouTube seminary now. Everybody's a theologian. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> everybody has read the Bible during COVID and decided, I'm a prophet. Hey, but ask them, hey, who is your oversight? Like, Who's your accountability? And pay attention to the answer. The answer will be this. I don't need one. I got the word of God. Well, the word of God tells you you need one. <laughs> so you haven't been reading it. You haven't been reading it right then. Because all the way from the beginning, there's been accountability. Like from the beginning, there's been accountability. So you need to answer that from a biblical standpoint that you need accountability. Right? So there's, be careful with Lone Rangers, you know. There's a lot of dudes on YouTube looking like Osama bin Laden in the cave making Bible, you know, commentaries. <laughs> I'm like, at least get a better camera. <laughs> Prophet. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was uncalled for. I repent. Um... Talking about conspiracy theories. Is Osama bin Laden still alive? Okay, actually. <laughs> Three, beware of people who are always critical of everybody's ministry except themselves. Right? I find that fascinating. With so much in exciting things to share, 
Why is it that you feel drawn to share another person's ministry? Like the Bible is filled with amazing things to share, but you're consumed with, I have to show you that this person's false and that person's Like some people just made a career out of telling you who's false. Right? It's amazing to me. It's like, man, what was the last time you gave us a word from the Lord? You know? I was telling someone the other day, I'm like, I don't know how people are so bored out of their minds that they do that because it's like, man, there's so much to preach out of. Like this, every Sunday, I'm, I'm frustrated that I don't have enough time to go into this thing more, right, than to be talking about some other ministry somewhere. What a waste of a Sunday or a YouTube video. Here's another one. Beware of people who just bounce around churches, but they have no roots. Isn't it funny? Some people, it doesn't matter what church they go to, they always find something wrong with it. But they never look in the mirror to say, maybe I might be the problem. But everybody has a problem. I was just talking to a pastor about this, uh, uh, a local pastor that we're friends. And, and he's like, man, these people keep bouncing around. They've been to your church, they've been to my church, now they're at this church. I'm like, yeah, they're on a tour. <laughs> you know? But they don't put down roots. Right? Why do we have all these books in the New Testament? They're all churches. Right? That they're supposed to put down roots in a local church and build it there and be a pillar there and, and grow there and serve there and be a blessing somewhere. Here's another one. A lot of these people have knowledge but have no wisdom. Right? Beware of people with a lot of Bible knowledge but no wisdom, which means no fruits. Right? I always tell you guys this, don't just listen to what people are saying, look at their lives. Like, is your life producing any fruit, tangible? Because Jesus said, by your fruits, we will know that you are my disciples. Not by your opinions, not by your Bible verses, by your fruit, right? Like, <laughs> one time, a prophet was arguing with someone, and I see the whole argument, like, they were heated, ha, ha, going at it, you know. And then he turned to me and says, brother, the Lord said, I said, the Lord said nothing. You over here arguing, like, there's no way. There's no way the Lord is speaking to you like two minutes after that argument over there. Check your fruits. I didn't say that out loud. I was just saying that in my heart. You know, it's like, if the Lord is speaking to you, why is your marriage a mess? Why are your kids a mess? Why are your finances a mess? So the Lord's speaking to you, how come this is your third marriage? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, okay, I'm sorry. You got to have fruits to back this up. You know, give me fruits over knowledge any day of the week. You know, because fruits is what really shows you tangibly, like, this is, this is happening. So when I, when I follow ministries, I don't just follow the preaching, I follow the life because I want the life to speak into me, right? I, I'm gonna try to follow people that have good marriages. I wanna follow people that, 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 that are working hard to be great parents and try to be good citizens. Like, you know how much Paul talks about these people? He's like, man, be good citizens, like show the world, right? Because think about it, you got all this Bible knowledge when you go to work, you're a jerk. It's like, man, what's the point of that? Paul was like, man, we should be the best reflection to the world out there so they can see that there's a God. If they're ever considering Jesus, they can look at you and say, wow, like, you know. Here's another one. There's no tangible service to others. It's all self-serving. 
That's a big one because Jesus said, I didn't come to serve, but to be, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Right? If, you, if all you have is Bible knowledge, but you don't actually serve somebody, it means nothing. Faith without works is dead. Right? You see a lot of these people like carrying their big Bibles around, but they don't carry a bucket to wash anybody's feet or to help anybody, to, to be a blessing to anybody. They never have time to serve. So beware of those people. You know, giant Bible, but no service. You know, big bucks, no way. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Seven, this is a big one. Pay attention to those who are looking for attention. In spotlight. Speaking of serving, some of these people only serve if it's a stage serving. Right? Some people, the Lord never told them to wash toilets. The Lord never told them to serve in kids' ministry. The Lord only told them to lead worship and preach. Beware of those people. They never have time for serve the city, but they have time to lead a Bible study. Right? Be aware of those people that they have to control every conversation because they're the spotlight. Those are the people that instead of running a small group, they preach into this small group because <laughs> no one else gets to say anything. And let me tell you this, brother. And let me tell you this, brother. And by the way, brother, let me tell you this, brother. It's like, man, an hour went by. We didn't get to say it. <laughs> we came to your ministry. Be careful with people who are always looking for the spotlight. You know, people that are like, no, nah, the, the whole small group thing doesn't work for me. I need, I need a pulpit in my living room. <laughs> I wish I was making these things up. These are true stories. Okay, I wish I was making these things up. Eight, people obsessed with debating and being right. That's a big one nowadays. Everybody wants to be right. Everybody wants to show you what they know. But no one wants to be humble and, and receive something and be wrong. Like I said, these prophets prophesied, but no one wants to be like, I was wrong. I apologize. Maybe I got caught up in my emotions. You know, I got it wrong. It's okay to be wrong, you know. But there's an obsession with being right, not righteous. There's a difference between being right and being righteous. Sometimes you're right, but you were so wrong. You ever been right and felt so wrong? Am I the only one that's like, been there? Like you, 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 you won the argument, but you lost the person. Right? And that's, that's to me, my friends, is, is, is the flesh. And fear is the baseline. Not love, not grace. It's always fear. It's the people that always telling you the world's about to end, right? And they, know, they, they, they have the latest conspiracy theory. They know what's going to happen. You know, things are going to go from bad to worse, all these different things. They're obsessed with the book of Revelations. I'm telling you, there's an obsession with the book of Revelation taken out of context, right? Not right now, there's conspiracy theories off the chains. Vaccines could be 666. You know, it's great. It's scary, right? It's like someone asked me the other day, would I take the vaccine? I'm like, that's a personal conviction. But, but that doesn't mean if someone doesn't take the vaccine does not mean it's 666. We have to be careful not to make these crazy assumptions, you know? Like, have you noticed every four years someone is, is into Christ? 
according to American elections, <laughs> even though Revelation was not in America. Like, we haven't found this out yet, that we're so obsessed with the book of Revelation, who doesn't mention America once. Not once. There's America in here. But here we are obsessed with it every four years, figuring out who is the Antichrist. You know, the book of Revelation is awesome. Maybe one day I will teach the book of Revelation the right way. You know. Someone left the church because, because I said Nero was the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. That's not something you have to even try to figure out. It's just facts. But someone is so bent out of, no, no. But the Bible says there are spirits of Antichrist, like more than one. But the one in Revelation already happened. It was Nero. That's not, that's not even like me trying to figure it out. That's an historical fact. But someone gets so bent that it's like, no, you said Nero is the Antichrist, so I'm leaving the church. I'm like, let's be real. You're not leaving the church because of that. You have other reasons. But we can always find something to say that's the reason, you know. But my friends, fruits matter. Fruits matter, not just opinion. Jesus told us, check the fruits. Hear me on this. Emotionalism is not the same as fruits. Someone could be extremely emotional. doesn't mean they have the fruits of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit that, that binds every fruit of the Spirit? It's self-control. That's why it's so... Paul labels all the fruits and ends with self-control. He's saying self-control binds everything together. I call self-control the duct tape of the soul. Right? But when you're emotional all over the place, you have no self-control. You're allowing yourself to be driven by every feeling and emotion and every latest conspiracy theory. That's a lack of self-control. Are you with me? Yes. And I, mean, I want to say this. Some of the most dangerous teachings in the church doesn't come from the pulpit. It comes from weird people in the church. It's true. It's not always the pulpit. It's like the, it's like the weirdo who is takes what the pastor preaches and then preaches his own message. <laughs> you know, I wish I was making this stuff up. It's the people that are obsessed with disputing and arguments and want to be right. Be, beware of those people. You know. Can I, can I share one more scripture? Because when Paul was teaching Timothy to figure out false teachings. Here's, here's what Paul says to Timothy, the, his mentor. Paul was Timothy's mentor, right? And Timothy was what, a young preacher. And he says this, some people may contradict that teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if we have this over here. Yeah. These teachings promote a godly life. Like, solid teaching should result in godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stir up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people, are, these people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt and they have turned their backs on truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Right? So, 
did you check, did you see what Paul said? He said, look, here's the fruits of falsehood, right? Let, go, go to my last slide, the fruits of falsehood. He said, look, it produces jealousy, division, slander, evil suspicion, and troublemakers, right? He says, Thus, there's the fruit of the Spirit, and then there's the fruit of falsehood. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, but look, when these people don't have the right spirit, it produces all the wrong things, right? Here's, I hate to say this, but it's so true. A lot of times, these people are obsessed with telling you who the false teachers are. They're, they're just jealous of the other person's ministry. Jealousy will make you do weird things, right? So a lot of times, they're like, yo, that brother doesn't preach the truth. Why? Because you have 20 people and he has 200? Why? Because some people don't want to hear you preach anymore. They want to go to that brother. You think it doesn't happen? It happens all the time. Right? People get hung up on, instead of being faithful to what God trusted them with, they keep focusing on what others are doing. So now they're turning their attention to what others are doing. So they're not focused on what the Lord has for them in front of them. And jealousy becomes a result of that. And you know, as Christians, we're so good at using Bible verses to mask our jealousy. And Paul says it clearly here. He's like, yo, jealousy is going to be one of the first things you're going to see, right? In other words, he told Timothy, you should expect that such men will envy you. Because Timothy had one of the biggest ministries in the first century. One of the first megachurches, they said, was the one that Timothy ran and Timothy struggled with insecurities. He struggled with, with being on the spotlight. And Paul was like, man, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. You know, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Like, Paul was speaking life into Timothy because he felt like, man, I don't know if I'm adequate enough to be doing this, you know. But it had, instead of having people helping him, it had people being jealous of him. That would preach. Right? Instead of these men coming alongside and man, you're young, but we're going to help you. We're here to support you. We're here to bless you. We're here to pray for you. They were being jealous of him and Paul was like beware of those people who will envy your place who will envy your office right and they will create division because they will go and say yeah Timothy he doesn't know what he's doing he's young not realizing you just sowed a seed of division in another brother or another sister in the church as opposed to saying man we should be praying for Timothy he's young man he needs our help like, he needs us to pray for him. He needs us to hold his hand like Moses had two people holding his hand, you know, when his hands got tired. You know what I mean? That's what we need in the church. Like, we need more people that would help. And Paul says, there's slander, right? Another word for slander is when you're just taking jabs behind the scenes, you know? I was telling someone today that humans, we're rebellious by nature. You could be really nice and be a rebellious person. Like, you could be the nicest person in the world and have rebellion in your heart. Right? You can do it in a nice way. And some of us, we don't know how to be nice. We just know how to be angry. But some people are nicely rebellious. Like, some people, their boss would say, you know, I need that by 3 o'clock. And they'd be like, okay, not going to happen. <laughs> you know? They're like, they say yes with their heads, but their hearts is like... I don't think so. You know, that, and then they go behind the boss's back. Can you believe this guy? Like, he really thinks I'm going to do this by 3 o'clock? You know, 
Don't elbow anybody. <laughs> but slander is when you start to take shots at people. And sometimes people do it nicely. Here's one. Here's one of my favorite ones. I've been in church long enough. I can tell you these things. Okay. I don't mean to be a critic. But. Anytime someone says that, but there's a but, it's like, no, you're about to be. <laughs> hey, just drop the butt. Just get to it. You know. Oh, oh, when someone says, you know, the thing is, it's not that. It's like, oh, here we go. Oh, my favorite one is, can I be honest with you? It's like, no, lie to me. <laughs> go ahead and lie to me. My pastor always says, when someone says, can I be honest with you, be ready for a throw up. They're about to throw up on you in a nice way. Can I be honest with you? <laughs> like, Thank you. And here's the thing. Just like the person who finds conspiracy theory and everything, then there's evil suspicion that comes with it. Now, instead of Timothy being free to preach, he's got to be concerned with what kind of twist are they going to do with this message? What kind of thing are they going to like flip over with this thing? Because now you're looking for it. I always tell people, you look, if you're looking for something long enough, you're going to find it. But you will find it. If you want to find fault, you will find fault. Right? But when you're coming already from a jealous standpoint, division, slander, evil suspicion is just the next thing. You know, because it's just, it's just they follow each other. They never come along. You know, always expecting Timothy and the other leaders in the church. And then Paul was saying, Timothy, I need to warn you, you're young. You're, you could be gullible, but not everybody's for you. That's what's the sad reality of life, right? People could really be nice to you, but they're not really for you. Right? Like, again, I've been in this thing long enough. I know some people come along because they're like, I just want to get close to the pastor so I can get a position. And then when you check them, automatically they hear that God told them that he's time to move on. <laughs> Every time these people, like when you check them on something, God speaks. But they never accept correction. Y'all wasn't ready for this message today. All right, let me, let me end. I didn't write this, I didn't write this one there, but go, go to this passage real quick in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 1 in Galatians. This church, the battle, false teachings when it comes to grace. They struggle with grace, because it's always about grace. People have a hard time with grace, because you want to you feel like you earned it. You did something to earn it. Right? So here's what Paul says, beginning with verse 6. Look, Paul says, I am shocked that you, are turned away, that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the love and mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. That's what happens a lot of times. Instead of keep growing in grace, people get caught up because people start telling them all these other stuff, and then they end up with a works-oriented message as opposed to a grace-filled message. So Paul was like, man, it's too bad. You were doing so well. Look, verse 7. But it's not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. 
And look at what God, Paul has some strong words here. He goes, verse 8, he goes, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us. Paul's like, even us. Like, if we preach to you a different gospel, let God curse us. Or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. And then, and then Paul's like, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. That's powerful. Paul was like, man, put me in that category then. If I'm preaching the wrong gospel, then curse me too. Because Paul was so convinced that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that's the gospel. They, you don't earn it, you don't deserve it. Paul was like, man, if anyone tells you anything otherwise, don't believe it. Don't buy it. Because maybe they haven't understood the gospel and they want to put things on top of the gospel. They want to put works and they want to put this and they want to put this. You know how many, I told the staff today, you know, seven years, you know how many times I have to like remind us of our why because some people will always have opinions, will always say, do this or don't do that. Well, come, he doesn't talk about this. Well, come, he doesn't talk about that. You know? you know how many challenging times we've had during 2020 and COVID because, you know, I didn't talk enough about politics. I didn't talk enough about Black Lives Matter. I didn't talk enough about Blue Lives Matter. I didn't talk enough about, like, if you, if you listen to all that stuff, you end up with a Frankenstein of a gospel because you're trying to hit everybody and you're trying to help everybody. But it's like, no, no, no. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and we're going to stay with that gospel. And the reality is this. Like, you're not going to please everybody. We talked about this on Sunday already. You're not going to please everybody, right? But like you said, we're not trying to win the approval of man. We're trying to win the approval of God, right? And God one day, here's the thing, though. Jesus said this clear. He said, look, at the end, we will separate the sheep from the goats. But he will, not us. The thing is, we want to do it. You know what I mean? We think we have that authority to say, that's a sheep, that's a goat. Jesus is like, you think that's a sheep, that's a goat. You think that's a goat, that's a sheep. <laughs> that's the problem. We don't have that eye view that God does. Because God goes straight to the heart. He's not looking at the outward. God goes straight to the heart. He knows who's his, he knows who's not. That's not my job, that's not your job. You know? We can only see fruits, but we don't see the heart. So we have to be careful not to play the Holy Spirit. I think that's where we get into trouble. We want to say, who, this is who belongs, who this is who doesn't belong. But Jesus is like, one day we're going to be all surprised when he does the separation. But he's like, only I can do the separation. Right? So your job is to preach the gospel, live the gospel, and let me do the separation in the end. Right? So here's my practical ending. Right, as always, here's my practical ending as always. <laughs> Look, I believe that you could be rooted and grounded in truth by first of all knowing that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Right? If you haven't established that, then you are prone to fall for anything if you don't have your foundation in Jesus Christ. Right? Read the Bible but with humility. I have a theology degree. But that means jack if my heart is not submitted to the Lord. Some of the most prideful people I know have theology degrees, unfortunately. Right? I have to tell the students all the time, like, 
study with humility. Because remember, the Pharisees had degrees in Miss Jesus. Because they didn't have the heart. So study with humility. Ask God for humility. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God, how do, how do I apply this? I don't want to just get knowledge. I want to be a person that lives your truth. Be rooted in a local church. I don't believe in bouncing around. I believe you should be rooted and grounded somewhere so you can grow there and serve and be a pillar in God's house. Be submitted to the local leadership. If God put a leadership in place, as long as they're not sinning, you should submit. Right? Because each, again, go read Paul's letters. Each local church had a unique DNA to it. But they had leadership over each one that Paul trusted that the Holy Spirit is leading them. So if, if God leads you to a certain church, then pray that you have a heart of submission to whatever the mission is of that church. Because if not, then you're going to bring division to it. And if, and if it doesn't fit what God's called you to, then it's time to move on. But wherever you go, you have to submit. Because the word submission is to be under mission. Right? God calls us to be under mission. Not, we're not the mission. We're supposed to be under his mission. Right? Pray for discernment. It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit will give you discernment. Like, don't neglect that gut check that the Holy Spirit gives you sometimes. You know, sometimes you talk to someone, you don't know what it is, but you're like, that felt weird. Now, that could be bad pizza. <laughs> so pray for discernment. <laughs> right? Maybe you just had a bad pizza. Right? But pray for the sermon. I think the Holy Spirit will always confirm or deny something for you. Right? Pray for the sermon. And then lastly, avoid, <laughs> avoid clickbaits on false teaching because you can get lost in la-la land in YouTube. Okay? Be careful. Right? Because all of a sudden, you're going to start watching some YouTube videos and, and everything looks weird. Man, YouTube is like a vortex of weirdness. It's too bad because there's so many good things on YouTube. But the algorithms now is like, can I show you something crazy? <laughs> it's like, I don't know who created the algorithms, but they're like always trying to bring you somewhere you don't want to go. You know, and it's up to you to be like, all right, time out. It's one o'clock in the morning. What the heck am I doing? <laughs> Anybody know what I'm How in the world? How? Like the latest one that blew my mind. Are you, I don't know if you're familiar with Francis Chan. Great man of God, great preacher. Used to be a, a, church, a pastor of a mega church. Left it because he felt called to, to mission fields. He's in, I think he was in Thailand somewhere, preaching the gospel to people that would never heard about Jesus. Comes back, writes a book about unity, how the church needs to be united, and they call him a false teacher because he wants to unite the church. It's like, what in the world? Like, where are we getting this stuff from? Hey, people are making move, uh, videos about this. Oh, Francis Chan, he's hanging out with these really weird false teachers, and now he wants to unite the church. But Francis Chan is like, I want to... First of all, the book hasn't even been out yet. This is what we do. It's like, how do you know? Like, you haven't even read the book yet. You, really, you read the cover and saw him hanging out with some people, and you automatically assume, false. Isn't it funny? Before my book was published, people were already commenting on it. I'm like... You haven't even read it yet. I, I had a couple of Bible people, like, look at the post. Like, it just says, coming soon. And technically, just will be like, does that mean you're neglecting Matthew 18, 15? I'm like, does that mean you read the book? <laughs> you already assume, because you saw the title, 
that I already am saying something that I... Talking about judging the book by its cover, which, which was a great commercial for me. Anyways, is this helpful? Impossible to cover everything, you know, but I pray that, that the Lord will, will guide us and, and lead us and teach us, you know, as we pursue him, he will reveal to us what needs to be revealed, you know. Um, but I pray that there's two things that, that we struggle with, and I, I want to pray about it, and I want you to pray about it, is the struggle that we're facing right now, I believe, in the 21st century church is we're struggling with holiness and unity, Holiness means to be fully set apart for the Lord. Unity to, to say, like, I don't have to look like you to want the same things you do. And Jesus said his greatest prayer, go read it in John. He's like, Father, my prayer is that they will be one. And he even said, he says, they're going to come others from, from different places into this fold. I pray they are one. That's what we're lacking right now in the capital C church. It's like, man, forget about what denomination you're part of. Are you a believer, then we're, we're one. We're united. You know? Like, I have pastor friends that I meet with that they may not like my, our music, but we love Jesus. I have pastor friends who don't speak in tongues. I do. But it doesn't mean I'm more spiritual than them. You know? So, the things that unites us should be greater than the things that divide us. So, so we need to pray that it's true holiness, not legalism, not like try to make people behave. No, holiness comes from the heart, set apart, distinct. I love you, Jesus. I want your will. I want to live in your will, not, you know, in church, in somebody, in somewhere else. You know what I mean? I want to be whole. I want to be one person. I want to, I want to love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. I love my neighbors and myself. I want to help build your house, your people. That's unity and that's holiness. And that's what we need the most. You know, when you're praying, pray for that. You know, pray that we as a church here are united and we're pursuing holiness. And then when you meet other believers from other churches, pray that we're pursuing holiness and they will be united because that's how Jesus will come back. He says, I won't come back until everybody knows me, you know. Not when you know the book of Revelation, when you know me. Amen? So let's pray. Jesus, I, I thank you for the privilege to be in your house again with my friends. I pray you bless each and every one of them, not just here in person, but online. And I ask you, the Holy Spirit, for the gift of discernment. God, we want to be in tune with you and be able to know that we're following you and that we're hearing from you and that you're leading us down the path of righteousness. Lord, I pray for the capital church, everyone who calls themselves a believer. I pray for true holiness to be our portion. We want to be set apart for you. We, want to, we don't want to conform to the ways of the world. We want to be transformed by renewal of our mind. Lord, we want to be united. You said your greatest desire, Jesus, is for your people to be one. Make us one under your will and your purpose. Father, we love you, and I pray you continue to teach us through the Gospel of Mark how to be f- true followers of Jesus. And I pray that whoever meets us, that they get a glimpse of who you are. God, I pray that our work can get a glimpse of you, our neighbors, our friends. God, I pray that you continue to bring revival to our nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a good night.
We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.